0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly. And joined with me, of course, is my lovely co-host, Serge Boudreau. Serge,
0: how are you doing? I'm doing great. We have another lovely guest. You're the only person I know that uses lovely
1: Am, am I showing my age?
0: <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm very excited to have Adam Gordon on the show. So Adam was mm-hmm. one of our first guests yes. and yes. held a record for the most downloads of any episode that we've had. I'm assuming Adam is very popular across the world, but Adam Gordon, CEO of Candidate ID. Adam, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, really great to be here again, Shelly and Serge. I'm hoping that we can break that download Record again, maybe with this um, episode. I'm going to be really honest. I uh, I've got a very large family. I sent it to all of them. Hey,
0: I I have a couple of questions for you, Adam. Before we jump in, you're in Glasgow, Scotland,
2: correct? That's correct. Yeah.
0: I was reading. My favorite show is actually UK-based. It's Peaky Blinders, and. I've heard a rumor that they're filming in Scotland. I guess it's a town called Portsoy. First of all, are you a Peaky Blinders fan? Am I the only one in the world?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I really like Peaky Blinders. I didn't know they were filming in Scotland, although I'm pretty sure they did uh, a few episodes where there was some sort of collaboration or fighting between the Peaky Blinders gang and uh, Glasgow gang. Yes. Both Birmingham and Glasgow are both famous for, like, gangs.
0: Oh, okay. it's interesting. And so we're in Canada, and I grew up really close to Nova Scotia. I grew up in New Brunswick, and I'm curious to see if people from Scotland have ever been to Nova Scotia.
2: So, actually, funny you say this, because my co-founder, Scott, was talking to somebody the other day. I was on a meeting with him and somebody else. And he said that he'd been in Nova Scotia and, him and with his wife. And he went through a town called Glasgow in, in Nova Scotia. And he said Glasgow, Nova Scotia was absolutely nothing like Glasgow in Scotland. I mean, did you grow up wearing a kilt like you know, like we do in Scotland? No, no
0: I did not. Uh, and I do want to bring that up because on Facebook, there's a bunch of connections. And you came up in the people you may know. And there's a picture of you. Joel Cheeseman and Chad Sowash in a kilt together, and I don't know what to think about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, just to be clear for anybody listening to this, Joel, Chad, and I are not in a kilt together. We're all, in, <laughs> we're all in separate kilts. We were at an event together in Lisbon in Portugal about 18 months ago and promised them I was going to buy them kilts. And they, they're not even real kilts. They're they are called utility kilts. Okay. So it's basically like the sort of kilt you might see Axel Rose in, or I think it's Prince has worn a kilt a couple of times, but it's not a real kilt. And utility kilts got like pockets down the side. That's, I think, where you're meant to put your hammer and your knives and things for if you're like screwdrivers Swords. Or <laughs> swords. Yeah. That would be a war kilt.
0: I've never worn a kilt. If we ever do meet face to face, I'll make sure I have a kilt.
2: I will be bringing you one. I'll bring okay. you a
0: Love it. Awesome. So Adam, uh, a lot of us know who we are, but a lot of listeners who are newer to our show would not know who Adam Gordon is. So who is Adam Gordon and how did you get into the recruitment tech?
2: Okay. So who am I first? So I'm 44 years old. I live in Glasgow.
1: But you'd never know. You'd never know.
2: He's laughing because I'm revealing (laughs) my age here. I'm 44 years old. I live in Glasgow in Scotland. It rains a lot here. I watch football a lot. I watch rugby a lot. I go to gigs. I've got a seven-year-old son. I've got a wife. I've got a four-year-old daughter. That's not the order. That wasn't the order of them. But So how did I get into recruitment technology? I started in recruitment in 1999, and the reason I did that was because a very good friend of mine had been in recruitment for two years, and he was 23 years old or something and driving a Mercedes, and I went, that sounds good. I'll have a piece of that. (laughs) And anyway, I was a recruitment consultant in an agency for three years, I think. But then I, I realized that the bit I wasn't interested in was actually the candidate. What What became clear to me was that I was sitting in an interview with somebody, listening to their story, and I was like, "I'm not interested in hearing any more <laughs> newly qualified accountants telling me they're going to be the CEO of Barclays in five years." I didn't care. <laughs> uh, and so, just be honest. But what I really loved, what I really <laughs> loved, was writing a fifty-word advert, putting it in the back of the newspaper. It came out on a Friday morning. And I'd get to my desk at eight o'clock on the Friday morning, and the phone would start ringing. And for the morning, right up until the end of lunchtime, I'd be just fielding calls from people saying, hey, yeah, I see you're looking for a newly qualified accountant. I've got this skill. What do you think? Should we talk about the job? And I just booked them in. And that was the point where I wasn't interested anymore. Got it. So okay. what I realized was I loved recruitment marketing. I loved candidate sourcing. I loved the, the chase, the hunt, all of that kind of bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I moved into a recruitment marketing agency. I was there, international company. I was there for two years. I then went in-house at PwC for three years in their human resource services practice. Um, And then I set up my own business called Social Media Search, which was a sourcing company. And in 2015, I was sitting with Pfizer asking them, how are we getting on? I was doing a performance review and they said, yeah, it's fine. It's good, actually. 70% of the people that you find for us are already on our ATS." which means that 30% are not on our ATS. And that's a really great result for us. And I said, you mean it's the other way around? You mean it's the other way around? Like 70% are not on the ATS? And they said, no, 70% are on the ATS. And I went, wow, like 70% of the money you're paying for us is a waste of time. It's like a complete waste of money. And what about your own internal team? Everybody they were finding on LinkedIn was already on the ATS. What about advertising? Yeah. Everybody applying for jobs, if they were any good, they were already on the ATS. And I went, wow, you're spending over and over and over again to get the same people in. Um, That's really inefficient. I spoke to some other companies. They agreed that they did the same. And I just went, we got to solve this. Mm -hmm. So we started to create a service, which was about nurturing candidates. And we were writing copy. We were sending out emails. We were using some landing page software, some trackable link software, pulling it all together. And for a pipeline of 100 candidates, that was all fine. For a pipeline of five thousand or ten thousand, it wasn't scalable. The solution wasn't scalable. So what we realized was we need to build something, and then we just we turned into a software company over about a two-year period. We pivoted from being a service company to a software company.
1: Wow, I feel like you took us through the entire evolution of recruitment advertising from newspaper (laughs) to where you are today. So I believe recently there was some really exciting news. About candidate ID and funding and market growth. What'd you spend the money on? <laughs>
2: so yeah, we I think Canadian dollars terms, we've raised about three and a half million, something like that. Wow. That was a very small amount of money, really. If you look at the companies that are buying candidate ID, they're buying candidate ID against things like Beamery, Phenom, Eightfold, Old Gem. Every single one of these companies has raised over 100 million, 200 million, I think. I don't know, eightfold have raised about seven billion or something like that. Yeah. You know, and these companies have raised so much money. And so it's a real privilege to actually be considered as an alternative to solve the same types of challenges that they're solving. We've spent the money on technology, we've spent it on development, and we've spent it on quite honestly, runway in going from being able to hire people ahead of revenue growth and We're going to be break-even in October next year if we don't raise any more money. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be a, a slow sort of movement towards that. If we don't raise any more money, we've got a pretty valuable business, and I still own quite a lot of it. If we go and raise lots of money, we'll have a pretty valuable business, but I won't own very much of it. We've got lots of options, and we've not spent it on, like, U.S. sales teams, and we've not spent it on every conference under the sun. We, we've not really needed to because our product is a very sophisticated product. It's only really for the five to ten percent of most sophisticated TA leaders. Okay, like for seventy percent, even in a country like Canada or the U.S., seventy percent don't understand what we're talking about. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah, I I would think the number would be a bit higher, actually, Adam, because the whole concept, which is staggering when you think that ATS technology is really not that much advanced past the newspaper. Like the concept of ATS and what it does, we're ready for a revolution. Like, honestly, it's 20 years old. If not more, it's got to be more than 20 years.
2: Yeah, I've got a few observations on that. One is that typically a talent acquisition leader is somebody who started their career probably about the same time as me, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe a little bit later. They probably started in a staffing agency like I did, and they probably progressed through to become a manager, and then they went in-house as a TA manager and progressed up that way. The bit that they almost certainly skipped was the three, four years that I spent in recruitment marketing very early in my career. So what they've got is a sales-led mindset, and what they've skipped is the, the more marketing-led mindset. So that's one aspect to
1: it. I absolutely agree because it's evidenced in the fact that a lot of TA leaders, the word marketing isn't even in their vocabulary. So you're yeah. absolutely right. When yeah. you start talking about marketing, they're like all they can relate to is their consumer brand.
2: I was just going to say then the second aspect of this is I don't understand. I still can't get any valid reason as to why There is such a thing as recruitment CRM in the in-house team kind of world. I don't understand why the ATS didn't just build folders and then it's all part of the ATS. I don't understand why there's two separate tiers of technology there. So we've got vendors have confused a market into thinking that CRM is a marketing technology when it is definitely not a marketing technology. Mm -hmm. You go into a mainstream sales and marketing team, the marketing team doesn't own the CRM. The sales team owns the CRM. The marketing team owns marketing automation, and they own the website, and they own they own the advertising and all that kind of thing. They don't own the CRM. The CRM is owned by the sales team. So as an industry, as a recruitment technology industry, we, we've really made a good job of confusing buyers. Mm.
0: I completely agree. And this really dives in perfectly into what I wanted to talk about. One of the elements that we're seeing right now is candidate engagement. There's less candidates than there was applying for jobs, but it's really interesting to see a lot of recruitment departments are really not tracking anything on the candidate side. They're not tracking candidate cues like opening your emails. Who's browsing your page on LinkedIn? Who's looking at your social media posts? Who's sharing your social media posts? Which is all activities when you talk about marketing and marketing automation. This is something that's been done for decades but recruitment just can't get there. And I think if we look at the next five years, the ones that can figure out this and can engage with their candidates and actually know what the status of their candidates are the ones that are going to win. So why do you think recruitment is still having a massive challenge? Is it what you said that A lot of people are coming from a sales mindset more than a marketing mindset.
2: I think it's actually two of the main points I just made, which were, I think it is definitely a lot of TA leaders have come from recruitment agency backgrounds, which is very much a sales led uh, one-to-one candidate engagement approach. And then I think that technology has not kept pace with what's happened in mainstream sales and marketing. And of course, I'm doing my best to try and change that. If I think about the kind of technology that we offer, which is marketing automation technology, it is not simple. It's simple to do simple things. But if you want to do really sophisticated things, you've got to have a marketing mindset. And the amount of companies that I talk to where they've done a great job of segmenting sourcing versus like recruiters. And the sourcer's job is to go and take the people from being strangers through to being people that are saying, yes, okay, I'm interested. And then the recruiter's job is to try and land them through the interview, guide them through that, land them into the job. They're different skill sets, but what we haven't done a great job of is the recruitment marketing bit. And I'm going to say something that's probably slightly controversial, but I don't care. I would say it to their face. Recruitment marketing in the UK is way ahead of, of where it is Almost anywhere in the world, certainly in North America. I look at some of the conversations about recruitment marketing in North America and I'm thinking, wow, you're talking about things that the UK solved like eight years ago, something like that. The UK and the Netherlands specifically, they're the two countries that are like way ahead of everybody else. Give me an this. example, Adam. Well, I mean, things like programmatic advertising has been something that in the USA over the last few, few years, it's you know emerged as being something that is a big new sort of white hope for recruitment marketing. But that's not new. It's been done for like at least 10 years in Europe. Not all of Europe. There's a lot of Europe is way behind. A lot of Europe is, yeah, yeah, very backwards. But Western Europe, programmatic advertising is not new at all. Other examples, things like chatbots, they're not new in, in the UK. They're not new in the Netherlands. And then to an extent, things like marketing automation. There's almost no marketing automation products for talent acquisition. There's Candidate ID. There's Candidate Hub in Canada, but there's almost nothing else. However, if you go into a staffing agency in the UK or in the Netherlands, they're almost certainly using Pardo or Marketo, something like that, whereas staffing businesses in the US are unlikely to be. It's just a few examples. Sorry, one more, employer branding. Employer branding is another thing. Like, oh, I'm going to get shot for this so badly. But you might have been <laughs> back here in the USA we're talking about employer branding like it's some new thing. I was working on like big international companies' employer brands in 2002. And I'm not saying I'm some sort of pioneer. I joined a company where it was widespread to be doing that in the UK.
1: Absolutely. That's not news to, I think, some people. And I know Serge and I have talked a long time about the fact that we are so far behind. The good news is we can learn from experts like yourself and take a page and be able to reference the fact that this is table stakes in the UK. It really is. And if I was asked to explain why are we dragging our feet on this i don't know
2: yeah I've, I've got one really simple but probable reason why if you look at the uk has got 70 million people in the, what would be in the usa the size of i think minnesota something like that yeah, no, yeah. maybe a bit bigger than that but it's not a it's not a huge landmass. like it's massively smaller than california for example and yeah. we got 70 million you double the population in a month a land space that's much smaller. The Netherlands, even more so, they've got seven, they've got 17 million people yeah. in a land space about the size of New York City. Yeah. I mean, New York City's probably got 17 million in the same, but my, my point is there's such a condensed population. Mm-hmm. It's not totally spread out. When you've got spread out communities, everybody in a smaller city, you know who the local four or five major employers are, are and everybody knows what it's like to work there. So that's a bit different. But in the UK, you could have a a company with 10,000 people in a city and nobody's ever heard of them because there's quite a few others competing. So the competition for talent has been very high for a long time.
1: So, you know, when I'm trying to sit in the chair of our, our audience and our listeners who tend to be in TA, whether they are strategic or tactical, but, you know, creating and managing your talent pipeline in a market where... Right now, I scroll through LinkedIn and depending on the time of day, certainly in the evening, it is serving me just one right after the other about hiring, talent acquisition, hiring, talent acquisition. So it feels like a bit of a hamster wheel. But when you look at the clients who are successfully using candidate ID, who is managing that process? Because recruiters can't even come up for air right now. Like they honestly can't. And recruitment is tactical the whole point of candidate id is strategic it's it's forward thinking it's what we will need for the foreseeable future three to five years from now and doing something today that ensures your company stays in business (laughs) because without the talent you probably won't stay in business so who on the team should be the one to to own this
2: yeah, it's a great question. I get asked this every day. And one slight, slight reposition on what it is that Candidate ID does or marketing automation does. Absolutely, it's about medium and long term nurture that talent pipeline, so that you've got a drip of highly engaged and and well qualified people that are coming through that pipeline for you know next year and the year after and the year after. But you can do a lot of very tactical things, and most of our customers will start with what we call a waking the dead campaign. So they'll, <laughs> they'll go into their applicant tracking system, they'll go and get the 50,000 profiles and resumes of people yeah. who you know, applied over the last three or four years that haven't been spoken to recently. They'll put them into candidate ID, and then over a four to six week period, they'll do that waking the dead campaign, they'll revitalize that data. And they'll surface immediate, higher ready, you know, in-demand talent that's ready to come and talk to them about that job in healthcare or technology or engineering or whatever it is. There's gold in all of these applicant tracking systems. There's gold in all of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But getting to it, you can get lots of quick wins. But to answer your specific question, who does it? It's different in each organization. If it is a company the size of IBM, it's definitely their recruitment marketing team. If it's a company the size of Mont McDonald, engineering consultancy, 16, 17,000 people, something like that. Recruitment marketing will be contributing content, and it's probably going to be a talent sourcing team. It's probably going to be the sourcing mm-hmm. team who are actually running the campaigns, monitoring the data, checking out what's working and what's not. And then in a smaller company, again, maybe a company of a 1,000 people with five to 10 people in the TA team. People may be running their own campaigns and running their own pipelines, but you know they're drinking from the fire hose. And you said they can't come up for breath right now. The reason recruiters can't come up for air right now is because they're spending too much time doing the wrong things. Yeah. They're spending oh, too much time on administration. Of yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. They are doing things that are administrative and should be automated. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out.
0: Bravo. I do want to jump in when we talk about candidate nurturing, managing pipelines, there's one aspect that we forget to talk about, and I think it's one of the most critical. You've got a candidate, you got them through the process, they're excited to join your company, and now it's like they drop off the face of the world when they start onboarding. It goes into a different department, no one really owns it, there's no tracking of how well it it, it actually went, so... When we talk about onboarding, it's an element of recruitment that we don't talk a lot about. So in your mind, where should we start? Like you're a company, you're you're building out an onboarding program. Where would you start to really give them an exceptional experience and any technology they should leverage to be able to make this easier for them?
2: Yeah, so it, it is really important. Absolutely. So the amount of drop-off that's happening right now is crazy with people accepting a job going back to their employer resigning and getting 20 grand more on their salary to stay. Yeah, this is, that's, that's like a recruiter that's getting that. So yeah, I think if you're a very big company, you've got an employee experience team whose job is like experience design and they're working out every part of what happens right from the employer brand bit where you're trying to get somebody's attention right through to the uh, point that you're offboarding and you're leaving the organization and you become an alumni. And so you've got people in very big companies who are designing every aspect of that. And of course, most companies, we don't have the luxury of teams like that. So I think that it's down to a combination of the TA team and the, and the hiring managers to make sure that that experience is great. You can automate a whole load of it. At Candidate ID, our customers have mostly been using our product for attracting prospects nurturing them over time marketing automation serving them a brilliant experience tracking and scoring their engagement and then spitting out hot candidate leads like every day that's that's what most people have done it for however we've got some companies really brilliant companies like freedom mortgage for example who have been using it for onboarding so the way that it works is in the applicant tracking system the candidates marked as hired that sends a signal into their profiling candidate id which then activates a sequence of communications that goes out that changes according to what they're doing and what they're not doing. They'll get a message to say, hey, glad that you're joining our company. Here's what you can expect. And then click here for all the things they need to do. And then on the day they start, they'll get a message at the end of the day. How was your first day? Rate it here, net promoter score type stuff. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And then on day 30, on day 60, on day 90, They'll continue to get that pulse check sort of thing. Who gets the data back? The TA team gets the data back. So if there's problems with people dropping out, they can say, Shelly, you're brilliant. Everybody loves working for you. Serge, you must be a tyrant or something because everyone's dropping out on day 60. That's very useful information. But you you want, again, automate? Almost everything comes down to communication. And if you can automate it, it's so much better because everybody gets the right experience. When there's different people delivering different types of communication, they forget about it. They've got different styles. It's just inconsistent experience all around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it should be automated, like honestly. And and how valuable would that be for everyone to know? Like point out where I can improve. I just love it. So I want to talk about an ad Copy that you had running, that you were talking about recruitment being the most stressful job in the world. Can you explain yourself, please?
2: Yeah, I can. So I think the the advert said something like um, recruitment is the most stressful job in the world, and then underneath it said, at least it is if you're not using candidate ID. That was really the kind of thing it was meant that no, recruitment is for almost everybody a very stressful job because they're mm-hmm. drinking from the fire hose; they can't come up for air. They've got way too many wrecks. And this concept that staffing agencies say, working in-house recruitment, that's where you go for an easy life. Yeah, I think in most companies, you'd find that's not where you go for an easy life. It's a completely different type of pressure. I did get a bit of feedback from my wife who said, uh, yeah, I saw that. And it's a little bit tone deaf, is it not? Because you've got like the NHS who are trying to make sure people aren't dying from COVID and you're saying recruitment's more stressful. And I had to point out, it is clearly tongue-in-cheek. It is a valid point that nobody should say recruitment is the most stressful job in the world because it really isn't. However, just back to what we were talking about earlier, Shelly, it's stressful if you're doing it wrong. but It's most stressful if you're doing <laughs> it wrong.
1: Yes. And you've got the hiring leaders that are saying, where's all my candidates? Or you find one and they go, okay, I need two more to compare it to. Oh. So you're getting the oh. pressure from on top and then you've got candidates saying, well, You interviewed me two weeks ago and where are we at? You're absolutely in the sandwich, right?
0: Yeah, I think you made a good point because a lot of staffing recruiters that I know think that inside TA is the easiest job in the world. But I'm like, there's quite a bit of difference Mm -hmm. because now you're representing a brand. You're responsible for an employer brand. You are dealing with hiring managers on top that are a lot more direct with an employee, a co-worker, than they would be with an agency. If you're an agency, yeah. they just ignore you, which yeah, can right. be stressful, but they're just ignoring you. So, Adam, tons of great information. Again, it's always fantastic to have you on the show. For our audience, how can they get a hold of Adam Gordon?
2: I am um, easy to get a hold of on LinkedIn. Just look up Adam Gordon Candidate ID, Twitter unfortunately i've got some underscores and stuff at adam underscore w underscore gordon i don't Um, think i follow you i i gotta go uh, follow you i'm sure i'm sure sure i follow you and um and if you're important then you can email me as well adam.gordon at candidateid.com.
0: perfect well thank you so much adam it was great to have you again
2: my pleasure really love being on the show thanks so much for having me thank you so
1: much Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed.